Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Natalia Irina, and she is a mom of some wonderful, amazing kids. She is a writer and has written her story and shared with others in her book, Swan Mothers. She will be sharing her story today about her journey and how it evolved for her to write her book and why she wants to encourage and inspire others with her story. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Very excited to have you. I love your book. It has a beautiful cover, and I love even the title, Swan Mothers, has a lot of meaning behind it, and I am just excited that you're here to share with our listeners. Before we talk about the story and the events that led up to writing the book or giving you the material for the book, can you share with the listeners a little bit about your background in history? Uh, Sure. Um, I like to say that my first 29 years were remarkably ordinary, and they were ordinary in the very best way. I had a happy childhood and parents who loved me and, you know, a nice middle-class upbringing, and everything was really nice and normal, and actually that carried on through college and getting married, and everything was moving along just fine, and it was when my children arrived that I realized that I'd been living in a different world than was available to me, and my children opened my eyes about that. That makes a lot of sense about having what feels like an ordinary life and normal and not a lot of upheavals or challenges. And so I know that a lot of people can relate to that, especially just having kids in general. Everything seems to change. What was it that you believed in your mind before you actually had your children but knew you were going to have children or perhaps when you were pregnant? What were those things that swirled around in your mind about how things were going to be? Because I think I, too, as a mom, had all these unrealistic expectations about how my kids were going to be, how I was going to be, and how life was going to be. Well, what you just said there pretty much sums it up. And I guess most of all, I thought that I could control it. Because until that point, at least my illusion had been that I was pretty much in charge of it. You know, if I studied, I got pretty decent grades. If I worked hard, I did okay at work, and that sort of thing. So I sort of thought that when the kids came, I would do everything that I was supposed to do, and they would turn out to be like perfect little replicas of me and my husband with kind of like the wrinkles that we had ironed out because, you know, I've had my life experience, he's had his. So our kids are going to be us, but even better because yeah. we have <laughs> these great experiences and what we've learned in life to work from. So I think that that was my biggest illusion. So I I certainly thought that my children would be well-behaved and um, some of the things that I realized after they came along, things that I completely took for granted, not even consciously, was, you know, I assumed they would be able to eat normally, that they would be able to speak normally, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they would have friends once they went to school, all these things that are just sort of like, and that was completely the baseline, having children that were sort of, you know, functional and mm-hmm. reasonably intelligent and reasonably kind and polite and all that stuff. And then on top of that, I had all these other ideas. Um, I had stopped working after my oldest child was born, when my first child was born, and having been very type A until that point in my life, what was I to do? You know, suddenly there I was pregnant and then with a baby, so... 
I read everything. I went to the library mm-hmm. and had stacks of books, and I knew how to do everything right. I had all these programs that I would do with the kids, like there was a program called how to give your baby encyclopedic knowledge and how to teach your baby to read and how to teach your baby math by showing them flashcards. And and I, I did all this stuff because I was going to have, you know, this perfect little baby that right. wouldn't grow up to be this perfect child. And um, I did a lot of those things, but things went a lot differently than I expected. Right, right. And I can understand that definitely. And I think even when we have a typical normally functioning child, there are a lot of things that change from what we expect or what we think is going to happen or how they're going to be or how we're going to be. And so that's that's pretty normal. But I love that you share very openly and poignantly in your book about dealing with circumstances and situations that are far from anything you might have expected. Can you share with the listeners how many children you have and when it was that you discovered that you didn't have this perfect child that you envisioned and it wasn't going to be this perfect parenting experience that you thought it would be? Sure. Um, I have three children, and they are now 15, 12, and 10. So um, one is already in high school, one is in middle school, and one is in fourth grade. And it was when my first child was just before her third birthday. I had enrolled her in preschool when she was about uh, two and a half or so, like into just a standard two mornings a week, just something so she could get out and be with other kids kind of thing. And I didn't really, despite all my other high demands and so some of the other things I was talking about, I was thinking that school, let her just go and have fun. You know, she's little. And she had been in that preschool from September until about mid-December when her teacher called me and she said, Ilana doesn't talk in school. And I was just standing there looking at her with my jaw hanging open because I had thought that my child was the most brilliant and beautiful child on earth. And let me just say that she is. Right, <laughs> but, right. but this particular moment was such a shock. I said, well, I said, well, she talks all the time at home. And the teacher is looking at me, and she was a lovely person, and I could tell that, you know, it was difficult for her to have this conversation. And I think, you know, like, how do you tell a parent that something is, quote, unquote, wrong with her child? And she was very kind, and she said, well, you know, when she talks, she just repeats things back that we say or that she's heard in other places, and she doesn't socialize with the children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd like to suggest that you have, we have an evaluation. And I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I, right. <laughs> I, think, it, I think some parents, and so I, in my book, um, I, have, I interviewed other parents, so I not only told my story but other mothers' stories, but some parents, like, they had a sense all along because of things that their children did that, you know, something something needed to be looked at or something was different than what they had expected. I literally had no idea at all. Mm-hmm. So this was just a terrible shock to me. So, so yeah, that, so that was the beginning of that. And, mm-hmm. um, and what were some of the feelings that occurred for you at that moment or during that time period? I would have to say the feeling, and I guess this isn't really a feeling, but a response was shock. I right. didn't even know. And eventually, different feelings certainly came, and that came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But eventually, I went through kind of the classical, um, you know, grief response, the denial, the anger, the grief. All that happened to me, but at first, I would just didn't even know what to do with myself. But then, 
as I went home and talked to my husband, and I said, well, should we have this evaluation? Shouldn't we? We, we just had no idea. We were just both pulled over. Mm-hmm. And we originally told them to go ahead with the evaluation, and then I decided, nah, you know, they're completely wrong. Everything they're talking about is just not what's going on. And, right. And so, so I totally went into denial. And But then at that point, since somebody had said autism, I think at some point during their talk, I started reading about autism, and I started seeing some traits that I thought, well, maybe. I'm not exactly sure, but maybe. So I was kind of, you know, go up and down with thinking, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. we should have an evaluation. Maybe we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so the feelings are really intense, and I would say very varied also. Right. So right. I, and then when, with the mothers I interviewed, I heard just a lot of different things. Like some people are relieved, actually, to, to hear somebody say, oh, this is what we think it is. Some people are in denial, like I would. Some people just get mad. Right, <laughs> You know, right. at the world or at the person who told them or, you know, who knows who. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, those are all good points to bring up, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think that what's key is that we all have different responses and reactions and feelings about things that are shocking to us. And certainly, as a mother, we have a variety of feelings that we feel when people talk about our children, whether it's the truth or not. We don't want to accept or hear that our baby, our child, is not perfect or what we think they are or envision them to be. So that is always a challenge and pretty normal I think the key is, and you share a lot of, of these tips and suggestions and thoughts in your book, is how we deal with that in the long term and, and what we decide is going to be our reaction after that initial part of acceptance and learning what's really going on and, and dealing with the grief, as you mentioned. What was it that helped you initially anyway, and perhaps it's changed along the years, to get through the feeling of loss that you didn't have the perfect child, children, to accept other people's judgments and labels. How did you deal with that? What are some tips you can share with our listeners? Well, I think I think the biggest tip is just to keep going. So I, I will tell you like some of the things that I actually used, but I didn't have any of these resources when I started. They were things that I found along the journey, and I think you find the resources by just putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it's, it, it just can feel like such a dark place when you're there. You can feel, especially if you're completely blindsided by it, but I would imagine that in any situation, no, nobody's really expecting to have some something that they weren't expecting. <laughs> so I'm kind of a silly way to say it. But um, because we're not expecting it, we're just not prepared. So we just don't even know what to do. So I think at f- the first thing that kept me going is, literally just to keep going. And I think children are very useful for that because as a parent, we feel so responsible for them. So even if for yourself you'd want to just crawl into bed and get under the covers and say, I'm not getting up, when you have a child that needs to eat, you're going to get up. You'll go to the store to buy the food. You know, right. you will take them to preschool or to school if that's what you're doing, or, you know, you'll take them for a walk if that's what you're doing. So I think just living life is the first way to get through it. And then I think that as, as you just keep going, so for me, as I kept going, I found that resources started showing up for me. And the Internet was still relatively new when this started happening with my daughter. But there was there was enough there that I um, started to find resources through the Internet, which was just a huge blessing to me. Because mm-hmm. suddenly just to know that you're not alone, whereas you might not be able to find somebody on your block 
or, you know, in your school that is having a similar experience with the Internet, you can usually find somebody that's having a similar experience or has had a similar diagnosis or label thrown at them. So I think connecting with other people is really helpful. Right. And then, and then for me, two things that were just huge on my journey for both myself and for my children to make life easier for us was homeopathy, which I started studying casually and then ended up actually studying through a three-year program and meridian tapping or EFT. So both of those are tools that I used a lot and I still use. Um, and I use them for myself. I use them for my children. I use them in various ways. Um, I write them a li- about them a little bit in the book. The mm-hmm. book isn't really about therapies as such, but I do mention them in the book because I think I would be cheating the reader to say, oh, look at how great I think my kids are now without telling them how I got there. So that's an important question you ask. Right, right. And that makes sense that there there are different options to deal with a lot of the things that come up with our children, whether they're physical or emotional. And it's important as a parent to investigate all those options and to find what works best for you and your family. And that's one thing that I've shared many times is that when we face a challenge, it's really unique to us, it's unique to our child, and it's unique to our family unit. So there's no one set way to respond or to get through these situations. There's a variety of different ways, techniques, healing, and options, and I really encourage people to find what works best for them. And I'm glad you express that in a sense in the book, that there's more than one way to handle whatever you're facing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I actually, when I started writing the book, I really had no idea what the format would be. I knew that it was something about parenting and maybe something about autism, and the book ended up not really being about autism, even though that that particular word and that particular label is what's drove my journey and the journey of most of the mothers in it. And then the book ended up being about the journey. And like you said, that's what, when I started writing, I thought, well, it's really interesting to tell my story, but this isn't the only way people experience it. And there are so many similar threads, but there are people that have different opinions, different experiences. Right. So, yeah, definitely. So in the book, I specific, sometimes I write about specifically different things, like some people that want a label for their child and some people who don't. And mm-hmm. both are equally valid. Some people that choose to pursue conventional treatments, some people that choose natural treatments, some people that choose no treatment at all. And all of those are valid and good paths. And like you said, I think we need to tune in and see what is right for me and my child at this time. And that's what's right. Right. And and that's true. And really, I find that true with any child that's our child. We have a right to decide what's best for them and what's best for us and what works best for our situation and that's really, really important to empower parents to not feel like doctors and schools can take over, but to utilize whatever supports and services they can to make it work for them in their particular situation. Absolutely. And I know you have more than one child, and I have more than one child. And I think you even realize that even with multiple children or even with one child at different times, there are different things that are appropriate. Yes, so I know, like, I had, at one time, I had one child in Montessori school, one in public school, and one homeschooled, and that's just what was right. Now, I have a different child homeschooled and different children in public school, and, and they're all doing great, but mm-hmm. I think just being flexible and, you know, using your own judgment are really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would love for you to share with the listeners, and again, going back to the book, Swan Mothers, 
discovering our true selves by parenting uniquely magnificent children has a lot of great tips for the readers but if you could share some of the ways you dealt with taking care of your own needs taking care of your marriage dealing with the other parts of life that still go on amidst the challenge of having a child that needs special services or help or extra attention how did you get through that part of it? Well, I think like a lot of parents, especially when the children were young and when I had three that were relatively young, a lot of times there really wasn't a lot of time for me, or at least that was my perception. I think the way I, I got through it was, one, I am very lucky that I have a husband that's very supportive, and I also have two sets of grandparents that were extremely supportive. So when we needed a break, our parents were able to help us. But I think no matter how much somebody else is or isn't willing to help, I really think it has to come from the inside because either you can take that time when somebody's watching your children or when they're taking a nap or when they're in school and say, I'm going to do something for myself, or you're going to say, I really need to do the laundry, do the dishes, <laughs> you know, wash the floors, because all of those things are there, but it's important to put yourself first. So one of the things I did that was huge for me was um, studying things that were of interest to me. And so one of the things I did was I went to school to study homeopathy and the natural health sciences. And it was one weekend a month for three years. And those weekends were a lifeline for me. I got to go out completely by myself. Um, I got to talk to other adults about something that was of extreme interest to me. But somehow, even while doing that, I justified it by saying everything I learned I can apply to my children, which is kind of sad and funny at the same time that even though it was for me and I was enjoying it, I almost had to say, it's okay for me to do this because this will help my family. Right, right. But, right, but, that, but, but be that, even though I had to use that justification for myself, I don't think that justification, like now, later on, I don't think that justification was necessary and that was important to me. I, I think that that was the biggest thing that I did, but I think even small things like if, I went for a walk or just anything, just reading a book were huge. Mm -hmm. But like now I'm much more conscious of that and do that much more. I definitely take time for myself now and make it a priority. But I think when the children are very young and there's a lot that needs to be done, it, it was hard for me to do that just because I felt like I always had to be doing something for them. But I agree with you that the self-care is very important. But it's, it's just a matter of making that mental shift and actually saying, yes, I am going to do this because I deserve it. Right. And that's really important to point out to people. It's never too late to, to start realizing that it's okay to take care of you and it's okay to step back when you need to and it's okay to do things completely differently than what everybody else expects you to do them or how everybody else expects you to do them. Yes, and, and possibly even most importantly, how you expect you have to do them. Like you were mentioning towards the beginning of our conversation, you know, we think we're going to be a certain kind of mother, so I am going to be so dedicated. And maybe we even think, oh, I'm going to have so much time for myself and I'm going to do all these things. And then the way that we get to that time might not be the way that we envisioned. But we can take what we do have time and resources for and enjoy that. Absolutely. Very good point. What was it that prompted you to write your book? Was there something significant that you thought occurred that really was a milestone, if you will, in thinking that you wanted to share your journey and others? Because I know you have stories from other moms in here. 
what happened to make you want to do this? There wasn't really one event that came about in a roundabout kind of way. I had always thought that I was a good writer, and I always thought that I would someday write a book, but I never really had a sense of what that would be. This was even before I had children and was doing a job that didn't really require any kind of creative writing at all. And then after I finished my homeopathy and natural health science program, I thought that I would have a, a business that I would practice homeopathy by phone. And so I started listening to free telecalls about how to run a business. And during one of those calls, one of the people said, you can write a book with credibility. And as soon as he said that, I thought, part of me thought, well, that's just really silly. I mean, why would somebody, how does writing a book build credibility? But somehow it just sparked something within me that I said, but I do need to write a book, even if that's not my motivation. I need to write this book. And at the same time, I saw I had recently moved to Wisconsin and saw that somebody had put up a flyer for a write. They called it a write shop, a writer's workshop. And I thought, well, why not? So I, it was one of those ways that I took time for myself. I went to that. And in the process of being there, just the idea came together. But it didn't start out with this idea of really of even telling my own story. I thought... Really, my idea when I started was much more preachy. It was sort of like, well, everything I've learned about, you know, having an autistic child, which, by the way, ended up not being my daughter, who was not diagnosed, but my second child was diagnosed. But so I had, like, all these things that I had learned from reading blogs and from listening to autistic adults talk, and I had all these ideas. And then as that time went on, I realized I'm not an autism expert. I mean, it would be very presumptuous of me to think that, Mm -hmm. and... Really, I'm not a parenting expert either, but what I have learned is how to kind of live my own life, how to do this journey thing, at least for myself, and I realized that that's what I had that was of value to share. Mm-hmm. Not any kind of expertise per se, but my own story and how I do it and how all of this, this whole journey made me a better person. Like I said, and not only myself, that, so that, 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 and I realized I'm not that unique in this. Lots of people have this experience, and lots of us get there, and that's how the book came about. Well, I love what you share because I think that, again, that often prevents many people from sharing their story because they don't think that they're the expert. They might not even think that they can write it, or they might think that nobody would care about it. They would they would think, like I used to think, that their story doesn't matter. But the truth is, is that all of our stories matter and everything you shared in your book, including yours and the other stories, have something within them that can touch someone else and help them and encourage them and inspire them. And that's the goal of story sharing. And I'm so grateful that you've decided to share the book as you did. And and again, it has great tips in there about how we react and respond to different things when we're dealing with a child that has challenges or may not seem typical or normal or whatever labels everybody else wants to give to them. They're still our beautiful children, but there's things that we have to deal with that might not be things that we deal with when we have this other child that doesn't have any health or emotional issues. Yes, and I think that that's actually the thing that I ultimately learned um, is that our children are perfect. Every single one of them is perfect yes. exactly as they are. But that's one of those scary things, like when you ask me about how did I you know, get on this path, when somebody stands there and says some word to you, like ADHD or autism or dyslexia or whatever that word is, whether it ends up 
being your child's label or not, it still turns your world upside down and suddenly you start looking at behaviors that previously you thought were just lovely personality traits of your child and suddenly you're looking at them as pathologies and it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, that was part of the journey, going from seeing my child as perfect to seeing her as having these traits that were supposedly something wrong with her to seeing, wait, there's really nothing wrong with those traits. They're right. just traits. That's uh, right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and as far as the discovering our true selves part of the title, I mean, ultimately, I think the greatest gift from my children was that I discovered that if they're okay the way they are, that must mean I'm okay the way I am, and everybody else must be the okay the way they are. So it really has a huge ripple effect. That's absolutely true, and I love that you just said that because we all are okay just the way that we are, and we're all flawed. We all come with different things that are not perfect according to the eyes of the world or are not always easy to deal with. And it's just part of our story, it's part of our life, it's part of our journey. And I love that you emphasize throughout the book, at least I had this feeling, that we really want, it's important to see the uniqueness in each of our children and in ourselves and to accept that and let that be okay rather than focusing again on the labels, on other people's expectations of not only how we parent but the outcome for our children. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you speak to the listeners a bit about how things worked for you and what things you did to help the family unit as far as how could you all come together as a family and overcome or deal with the challenges of labels, of therapies, of no therapies, whatever it was for you? Because I know that's a big thing, especially for people who have one child that has particular issues or special needs and the other children don't have those how did it all work for you and how what tips do you have to share with listeners who might be facing that again I think the biggest tip is just to keep going to be honest um, my younger son gets very frustrated with my middle middle child who is the one that actually has an autism label he gets very frustrated with some of the autistic traits because my youngest ironically is one of these children that is a perfect rule follower and he's knows exactly how people should act and be, and he has a sibling who acts exactly how you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of those things where, as lovely as it is when I hear sometimes um, other parents post on the Internet stories about their children and how their non-autistic child takes care of their special needs child, and it's very beautiful, but not not every situation is like that. And I think that... One of the ways that I make it work for our family is just by letting them all be themselves. If one is frustrated with the other, I let that be okay. I I don't encourage or allow as much as it's in my power to allow meanness. You know, I expect everybody to be kind, but I always tell them it's okay to be frustrated. You don't have to like everything he does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's one of the ways I do it. I I think that the biggest tip, like I said, is just, just, just to keep going and just taking one day at a time because we learn and grow from the experience of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can look at each of us and say we're all unique, we all have different needs, everybody has special needs. Special needs has become sort of like, you know, I don't know, a word that's becoming almost taboo because of its overuse from trying to be like a polite way to say that something's wrong with somebody. But it's a misnomer. 
all have unique and special needs, every single one of us, whether it's the parents in the family or the children in the family. And I think as much as we can in the family model for our children and teach them as much as we can to respect everybody the way they are, that's what makes the family work. Right, and I agree with you. I think that's very true. Again, going back to not being so concerned with the society's view of how things should work or how we should be a parent or how our kids should be, but remembering that we're each unique, that our own family unit is unique. And I, I also agree just moving forward each day, taking steps to make things better in our own family, in our own environment, with our own situation is so important. And, and remembering again and again that we don't have to meet other people's expectations. We need to be at peace within ourselves and know that we're doing our best to be our the best parent, the best person, whatever it is. Yes, and I think it's also important to be gentle with ourselves because I know that things that I did early on when I was still doing things by the book, the way I thought I was supposed to be doing, now it would make, it makes me cringe to think that I did that or said that or, you know, tried that technique. But one of the really cool things about life is that the next day we have another chance. A lot of times the next minute we have a ch another chance, and a lot of times the exact same situation that made us act in a way that is not the way that we're happy with presents itself over and over. Right. It's almost, you know, we keep, we keep getting a chance to, I was going to say get it right, but it's not really about getting it right, but maybe being more kind, being more gentle, being mm -hmm. more loving. So, and however, more that brings us to some, some to making other people hopefully feel better by being around us. Right, absolutely, and I, I love that too, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's part of the whole journey with being a parent is knowing that there is really no exact right science to the parenting, no matter what situation you have with your child. It's all about you know, doing your best and being your best and. And learning as you go and, and knowing that none of us are perfect, we'll never be perfect. There's no end of the rainbow, so to speak, of now I'm finally a great parent and I do everything right. <laughs> it just uh -huh. doesn't work uh -huh. that way. Right. I think that's kind of the two sides of the coin where I said everybody's perfect and the other side of the coin is nobody's perfect, but it's the same coin, right? I mean, like you said, we're all flawed. We all say things that we might not want to say or do things we might not want to do. And at the same time, somehow it's still okay. Somehow it's still okay because we're moving in the right direction. And for, especially for those of us that are trying to do the right thing, I think most of us eventually get to that place of being better. Right, right. I agree. And, and again, taking that pressure off of ourselves and being okay with who and what we are in the moment. And, and you know, if it, there's forgiveness needed, forgive, move on, let it go. And I've learned that myself and being a parent, the most important thing is to not try to live up to other people's expectations because it's not going to happen. And when I ha don't have my own expectations resolved, I'm just spending my life in chaos trying to meet everybody else's. Yes, yes. I certainly experienced that too. There's a lot of letting go that happens along the journey as you get to the place where you don't worry so much about what other people say. Right, exactly. And I think that's a great example to give to our children, too, is to help them to not get caught in that trap of we have to be a certain way or look a certain way or have certain things. 
it's all just completely ridiculous that there's so many ideas and out there that that's how it has to be to be accepted, to be popular, to be loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think the world would be a pretty cool place if our children learned that early on. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. And this is, your book is, and sharing your story is one way to help make that happen. I really believe that because, again, people need to be reminded of the truth in dealing with situations that are challenging, in being our own selves, and being true to our own heart, and just being the best that we can be every day. Yes, I completely agree. Can you share with the listeners some of the things that being a parent and having your own unique children has taught you? What What's some of the big things that you've learned from this and from your kids? The biggest thing I've learned is that it's okay to be the way I am. It's okay for them to be the way they are, and it's okay for everybody to be the way they are. There is no one right way to be. Right. The rules are much softer than I imagined as a child. I was a very good rule follower. I was really good at what I was at doing what I was supposed to do. I was one of those kids that the teachers always liked because <laughs> I sat quietly and raised my hands when I was supposed to raise my hands and didn't talk when I wasn't supposed to. And it leads for a very, I guess that kind of living makes for a very safe life, but not a very interesting life and, mm-hmm. and keeps, keeps us from being ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most important thing I've learned. I've learned to be gentle with myself and by extension to be gentle with other people. There's that um, saying, I can't remember it exactly, but something about be kind for everybody you meet at carrying a heavy load. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think that no matter what somebody's life looks like from the outside, I think almost by the very nature of our existence, all of us have stuff, right. like whatever name it is. And I think particularly because I had such a comfortable the first few decades, I wasn't really um, aware of that, mm-hmm. and I was probably more judgmental than I should have been, or uh, certainly more judgmental than I would be now, because of my very limited perspective, and now because I've had this experience, my perspective is different, and it, the interesting thing is that even though my experience with my children wasn't really terrible, like some things that people have experienced to become more awake, it was still enough for me to see that the world is so much bigger and brighter and more diverse than I had ever imagined. That makes a lot of sense. And that's what's great about sharing our stories is that it opens others' minds to different perspectives and different ways of handling things, accepting things, learning from things. And that's what I love about your book is that really any parent could benefit from reading this book. You don't have to be a parent of a special needs or unique child. They're just all our kids, and they're all wonderful, and they're all great. And this is truly a parenting book of great tips and insight to get through the parenting years. Well, thanks. And like you said, really, no matter what kind of child you have, we I shouldn't say all, but I suspect that a great many of us have expectations for our children, and that no matter how smart or how talented our kids are, I think that even drives us to have even higher expectations. And 
I think that getting to a place where we can accept our children and not only as they are, but whatever they choose to do with their skills also Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be accepting of that place. Right. And all that I believe leads to having more peace in the world, to not judging others, to not bullying others, to not making others feel like they're not qualified in whatever way. And that's really huge. I think for all of us to shift into that place. Mm hmm. Where could people find out more about you and get a copy of the book, Swan Mothers? Well, Swan Mothers is available on Amazon.com, and it's also on Amazon UK. And that's the best way to get the book. And the best way to connect with me if people want to is on Facebook. I have a Facebook page that's called Blessed by Autism, Uniquely Magnificent Children. And that's all one big name for the page. And that's the best place to get in touch with me if people want to send me a message or post on the wall there or... And I'm also on Twitter, swanmothers.com. Great. Well, thank you, Natalia, for sharing about your story and, and definitely for sharing a lot of great insight and other stories in your book. And I wish you the best in your endeavors in helping to change the world by sharing stories and creating awareness. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure to talk to you.